Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello, and after a brief hiatus, welcome back to episode, the 16th episode of Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast. We apologize for not podcasting last week, but we had some scheduling conflicts. You know, myself and Rev were both working men with, you know, wives and houses and band, and we have our band going again. So sometimes things get a little hectic. My job had me work in evenings pretty much every week, every night last week. So it just was a little hectic and we didn't have time. So we apologize, but we are back for the 16th episode. My name is Darren Wall and my co-host Rev Taylor. How you doing, brother? Doing well. I mean, it's, it's a chaotic time. Like you, like you were saying, we've got all this stuff going on. And, and I think it's just like, as we're gearing up to summer and as people are getting vaccinated, it's just, there's a lot of people, I think in a lot of industries, like running around like chickens with their heads cut off right now. But yeah. uh, it's good to be back here at my desk uh, with my pick of the week in hand and a beer ready to talk about some cool heavy metal. Yes, sir. So everybody crack your favorite beverage. I'm drinking a Canada Dry because we are recording on a weekday and I'm sober during the week most times, especially with the amount of beer I consumed up this weekend. So uh, yeah, we celebrated a record month at my, at my job profit-wise. And me and my boss celebrated probably a little too hard on Saturday night, but you know, <laughs> hey, that's, that's, that's the breaks. And yeah, you know, like life's getting, we're, we're starting to see some, uh, we got good news here in King County in Washington. We're not rolling back to phase two, like a lot of people thought we were going to do we're going to stay in phase three which is things half open so you know that's both a good sign that the numbers are looking okay and that you know for small businesses who've been allowed to reopen they're not going to have to send anybody else home and you know who went off unemployment to get their jobs back so i'm very happy for those people um but we are not here to talk about covid we are here to talk about heavy metal and this week we have a very power metal album to talk about. We have the new album from from Frozen Crown called Winterbane. And this band is from Italy and they've been around since 2017. They were not on my radar. We got to give a thanks to uh, or, I, Rob Steinway turned me on to these guys. I don't remember cool. exactly how we, uh, I think he was, uh, he, uh, he's the one who sent me that the video and suggested this and another band. Uh, so we decided to do this one. Um, these guys have, this is their third full-length album. Uh, they have 200 belts. And um, they're on a really cool label out of Italy called Scarlet Records. I'd never heard of this label. But it's a very cool one. There's a lot of really good bands on it. And I've been checking them out. So, um, yeah, what did you think of this album? I really liked it. I, uh, I enjoyed listening to it. It's um, probably the most modern album we've done on the podcast yet. Definitely. Um, it's a very, uh, very European contemporary metal kind of production but uh definitely with some classic sounds in there and uh yeah i was pleasantly surprised for a variety of reasons i guess i uh i don't know the the presentation in general with the band logo and the the uh photos and everything and the album cover it just kind of looks pretty generic the song titles sound pretty generic and um you know from from snippets i thought okay like female fronted power metal all right like this could be I don't know, there was nothing about the presentation that stood out that much, but really once I started listening to it, um, I was really pleasantly surprised by how much was kind of going on under the hood, um, especially with the, uh, 
the writing for guitars and the guitar playing. It, it was a real highlight for me. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different um, from stuff we've done before. And I guess a little bit more uh, up my alley in terms of the stuff that I have experience with. So, um, you know, there's a lot of more of a frame of reference than some of the stuff we've done recently, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to hear what, what this band comes up with next. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. Yeah. It was, it, you know, I thought this was a very solid album too. Um, there was some things that I had a bit, I had small issues with, but you know, there was nothing that was glaring. I definitely had fun. It was, it's a fun album. Um, I guess this is the main person here is uh, one of the guitar players, Federico Mondelli. Uh, he's, uh, he's got himself a new guitarist, a new drummer and a new bass player for this album. These are all brand new members. Um, I guess the singer is the only one that's been with him since 2017. Um, but yeah, um, the guitar playing on this album is great. Um, it conjures up kind of images of, well, the obvious one for me is a band that I've played in from time to time. Unleash the Archers is the main big influence on this one. I hear a lot of Dragon Force, some Rhapsody, and some Primal Fear. These guys are definitely influenced by modern power metal a lot. Um, this production is big. It's bold. It's very shiny. This is a very highly produced, highly manipulated album, but it is not fake sounding. Um, the drums are definitely samples. Um, you know, there's lots of compression on the bass and there's lots of, there's lots of studio help. And it was clearly done in a big fancy studio with a big budget. Um, but it's well done. Um, whoever, I don't know who produced it. I gotta get better about reading because I'm such a big studio nerd. I gotta get better about reading who produces mm -hmm. these things so that they're kind of more on my rec on my radar. Um, but I really like the production. Um, everything is audible. Nothing's buried in the mix. It's not, it's a, it's a big thick wall of sound, but it also has enough separation so you can really appreciate what the different players are doing, which is a good, good thing because this is an extremely talented band, not just the guitar players, like all around everybody in this band is very good at what they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like you said, it's very polished, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm used to hearing some things come out of the more mainstream European metal scene um, where there's literally a lot of just like playing to a track and these giant keyboard textures that, that kind of become the forefront of everything. And that's, I mean, I enjoy a lot of music that's like that, but uh, kind of when I see this kind of album cover and, and hear that kind of production, I, I feel concerned that I'm going to be hearing something that sounds a little too artificial for my taste. But I do like that this is very classic metal in that, uh, it's really guitars, bass, drums, voice that you're hearing most of the time. The keyboards yes. are kind of in the background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the keyboards are really tastefully used here as well. That's something that should be pointed out. Um, mm -hmm. They're audible when they want to have them. When they do like a cool thing by themselves, they're, they come up to the forefront. And I guess the main guy does guitars and keys as well, which is pretty cool. And he does and think, some pretty good backing vocals. Yeah, he does yeah. the backing vocals. I guess he does the harsh vocals that pop up from time to time on this record mm -hmm. too. I like the fact that the harsh vocals are not overused. It's not, we don't get a three inches of blood situation where it's kind of right. like back and forth all the time. And, you know, again, I'm going to go back to the Unleash the Archers reference, but I felt like on their old albums, um, the harsh vocals were kind of too prevalent. Um, when, when you have a singer like Britney, you really should feature her as much as you can. Um, and as they kind of moved on and started doing Apex and then Abyss, um, they definitely featured her more 
and the the harsh screamy stuff definitely became more of a more of a seasoning rather than a featured element in the music. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel that's the case here. Like they use it sparingly, and then when so when it happens, it, it's effective. It's not just like sometimes when you have this kind of thing where there's a very good melodic singer and a screamer. At least for me, I'm like, can you shut up and let the singer sing? Right. Because you know it's just why are you? you those are the parts that are boring. Like with Three Inches of Blood, I was like. I was, the guy was cool, but for me, and a lot of people like him, and, you know, he was actually, I bet, I mean, he's a very nice guy. I don't want to bag on him too much, but the earlier Three Inches of Blood album, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, the guy's screaming again. You know, I just want to hear the fucking Halford guy. Right. You know? <laughs> but that, that's just me. Um, but I guess let's uh, dial, delve into this thing here. Um, so, song one is called Embrace the Night, and it's definitely sets a good tone. Um, there is, you know, some really cool riffing in this in this one um i kind of like the the pre-chorus and the chorus transition where that's pre-chorus kind of slows down and then it goes into a very very epic super catchy um chorus mm-hmm. uh, this this song's fairly aggressive to start off like it's not you know you we're, we're not looking at overly pretty power metal here i mean there's some definitely some really pretty beautiful melodic elements but it's backed up with some bite yeah and it's it's really like the riffing that's taking the front seat um in terms of creating the interest when the when the singer's not uh, not singing and uh i don't know for me it's just the kind of thing that it grabs my attention right away which is which is unusual for me with guitar playing like some albums we'll listen to and like i remember when we did the agent steel album and and you and rob were talking about the guitar solos and i was kind of like wow i just i mean i didn't really notice like i didn't mm-hmm. really like it didn't seem that important somehow to the, the texture of everything, or I just kind of like zoned out and listened, I don't know, and just like felt things when the guitar was playing. But on this album, for whatever reason, I just got zoned into the guitar right away. And that's that's pretty much the thing I've, it's a I've very really taste- zoned into. It's very tasteful playing. Um, there's some neoclassical shit that goes on from time to time. Um, it's this one though, there's a couple of songs, this is one of them, you know, and I only really notice it because like I said in the beginning, I have played shows with Unleash the Archers, so I know they're set. I've yeah. opened these songs up and dissected them to the point where I needed to learn the parts. This is straight out of their playbook. Yeah, I mean, with song structure-wise, um, melody-wise, vibe-wise, key-wise, it is like, it's right out of their playbook. Like, this could have been on one of their earlier albums, like, easily. So... Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying it's a ripoff, and they haven't they haven't gone and ripped off one of their songs. It's just like that's that's the vibe. I definitely think that they are kind of um, trying to catch capture that lightning in the bottle kind of thing. Um, but it's a very good song. Uh, it doesn't ruin that for that aspect for me. Doesn't ruin it. It's still a very well written, very catchy song. Yeah, and well played. I mean, the uh, there's some cool riffs in there. I like the way that the guitarists are using the pinch harmonics and some kind of unusual ways in this track especially the riff that comes in i think um like the bridge riff comes in and it's kind of like a version of the main riff that has some more bells and whistles in it um mm-hmm. and i i always enjoy that kind of those kinds of guitar effects yeah. um and we get these little it's just really tight playing too from everybody i know some of that's the studio's help but uh but you can't fake this kind of thing like the just the precision of the of the guitar playing and i'm not sure how much uh we're hearing um the what is it federico yeah um federico mondelli i don't know how much we're hearing um fabiola 
Belomo. Belomo. I'm not sure how to pronounce. Yeah, Bobby. I'm not even going to try because I'm going to fuck it up. Yeah. And, my, and my wife speaks fluent Italian, so I don't want her to hear this to give me shit. Well, I guess the guitarist's <laughs> nickname is Sheena. Yeah. Sheena okay, there we go. We'll call her yeah. Sheena. That works. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of, of what we're hearing in that in the tone profile is Sheena versus um, Federico. Federico, but um, but it, it's it's really working for me. Oh, the tones uh, are awesome. I'll say yeah. that. Like the, the tones of all the instruments are are really really top shelf in in in, in this album. Um, so yeah, it's it's it is well executed. Um, like I said, that. They definitely like, and I don't, I'm not going to say that they edited it the hell out of it, but they definitely played, there's a lot of hours spent on this, mm -hmm. these guitar tracks. They played this shit till it was perfect. I went and looked up Sheena's other band, um, Inira, mm -hmm. um, just to hear like what her tone sounded like on its own, but it was a completely different kind of thing. It's like a, a gent band. Okay. Interesting. They're tuned down probably to B or something. Um, so she's got experience in that world, I guess, which definitely. I well, that must mean she's probably having a blast playing this shit. <laughs> yeah. Know? That's usually the way it goes when you go to play some, something playing more extreme to more melodic. It just is way, way, way fun when you do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess then we move into Towards the Sun. So this has like, a, this is a pretty cool song. Um, I like the intro with like kind of the accented parts um, with the nice melodic vocal line kind of flowing over top of it yep um this one again again i'm gonna i'm, I'm not gonna har i promise i'm not gonna harp on this all album but it is again out of the unleash the archers playbook i was like i recognize this song structure i recognize yep. this this melody uh these melodies it's all familiar it's familiar to my fingers not just my brain and i was like you know that's and that's cool you know that there's nothing wrong with that but you know the chorus is wonderful it's really really catchy um and the song overall is just a lot of fun yeah. Yeah. I really liked the chorus for this one. It's got that kind of like, it's got like a melancholy quality to it. It's a slower chorus. Yeah. Um, it's harmonized really well. I mean, very the, well. The yeah. backing vocals on this are, are excellent, not just um, in terms of or execution vocally, but also in terms of just harmony selection and, um, and the way it's mixed is great. Cause, cause uh, Federico is, is back far enough behind uh, the lead singer that it's a really nice blend yeah um so just just very tastefully done and we should like give the you know the lead singer she needs some credit too she's very very capable oh yeah um you know she's very she's very she's definitely stands out and and she is a star too you know it should like there's a lot that you know federico and sheena get a lot of credit here the drummer the rhythm section is awesome too and i'll kind of get into that in some of the later songs because yeah they yeah. get to do a lot more fun stuff as this album goes on but you know a singer here is is she's a badass too. There's no question. Yep, her name is Jada Etro. Okay. Or yeah, Jade. I, 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 I yeah. Okay, with Jade, I'm calling Jade, so I don't so I don't butcher it because yeah, she's yeah, she's excellent and and it's naturally fairly low voice and it it sits in a similar range to Britney's voice. It does, although she doesn't seem to. She either doesn't have or doesn't use much of her high extension. Not often. There's a, there's a couple. There's a couple moments, but it doesn't really. She doesn't do those like really almost desperate sounding high screams that Britney does. Yeah, you know? which is good. And you know, we don't want to compare them too too much. They're they're their own they're their own uh, singers. And they have do they do have their own styles. But I mean, there's definitely 
some similarities in the mel- melodies and stuff that you can't really ignore. But right. That's okay. I mean, it's, it's not terrible. It's definitely well-written, good metal. Um, and then we got Far Beyond, which is the single. That's the first song I heard. Um, yeah. This is one of the fastest songs I've heard in a minute. Um, this is mega Dragon Force vibes going on in this song. Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very fucking fast. Um, it's catchy as well while being fast. It's not just, just a pure speed song. Um, but there is some mega playing going on on this one. Uh, great leads, lots of like dual leads, some, you know, pretty colossal sounding double bass from the drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, where they're starting to show you that this band has some serious chops. This one definitely starts off with, I mean, since if you're not going to dwell on it, I will, but this, this song starts off with a absolute Britney high note. Scream? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it like the tone is it's so similar, um, which is, I don't know, impressive, actually, that someone could match it that well. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it, it, it definitely does. But yeah, this, this one kind of get, got, more, got me more Dragon Force vibes, and I was trying to lay off the ETA comparisons here. Right. But um, they, uh, yeah, this is... Damn, I was like, I got, I was getting tired listening to it. You know, I was like, this, these, I've played songs like this before. They're tough. I've noticed that the with the drum production on this one, for some reason, the the ride cymbal just really cuts through. And on this thing, I noticed there's really this like, going all through it, which is, I mean, it's, I mean, the drummer's obviously got mega chops. Sounds great. Oh, totally. I mean, I see why this is the single. It's a combination of the catchiness that they're good at, but it also really shows off their chops. It really shows yeah. everybody, hey, this band can play. And it's kind of one. It's like one of the reasons why we picked Frozen Star as a lead as one of the lead singles. Yeah, just because you know there's some serious shredding and some. Fa- it's a faster song. It's some double bass. You know, you, you, you kind of got to sh- you kind of want to show put your skills out there a little bit, so to speak. Um, and I think that's what they were going for here. Yeah, it's a, it's you know a catchy tune too. Like a lot of these, I can just look at the title now and call up the chorus in my head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. But that was uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I like that. I like this song. I don't know if it was one of my favorites on the record, but I, I liked it. It definitely um, worked. It was uh, yeah. It didn't it didn't stand out as much. It makes sense as the single, but mm-hmm. it didn't stand out quite as much on the album to me. Aside from yeah, being a really fast, definitely the one of the most just straight up power metal oh yeah songs. it is it is power and when you draw dragon force comparisons it's like that's pretty pure power metal shred yeah um the lone stranger was the the next song probably possibly the lamest title on the record but <laughs> one of my favorite songs i thought this was really cool uh, i really like the guitar melody that starts it off mm-hmm. um and there's like they got this galloping riff which is always fun um this was my favorite song up to this point. I was definitely, I liked it because it was fun. There was cool melodies. There was some, they changed up the, 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 the pace and the riffing a little bit. Uh, it wasn't reminding me of any other band specifically. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, they're kind of like showing some of their own voice here. Um, you know, it, yeah, there's some really good riffs. Uh, the singing here is is really really good. It's really done, done really well on the song. I thought mm-hmm. both melodically and execution wise, and it, it's also like a really concise song. It's pretty short. It's like maybe around the three minute mark. Um, and they 
kind of really got to tell the story well in that three minutes. So I was pretty impressed by this one. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely for me, like first listen through definitely the standout from the early part of the album. It's got a nice crunchy feel. And I mean, the production's, the production's so good that it really feels very satisfying to get just a ding, 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 kind of gallop they get going in this track. Yeah, um, for sure. And I like that it had that simple bass and then all of the ornaments and the, um, you know, the guitar frilliness, the, the vocals, it all was built on a fairly simple but really solid foundation. And then they were able to like take it in some unique directions and just throw in these little subtle things that make it interesting. Um, so yeah, very, very pleased with this track for sure. Yeah, I, th- I thought so too. I, I really liked it. And I, I was, yeah, this is the started to go, okay, you know, this is, I, I up to this point, I was like, this is a good band and this is a cool album, but they're kind of, you know, just drawing from other things at this point and kind of doing their own spin on it. Um, like other very specific things, I should say, like specific bands. And this time, you know, this, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, nothing on this album is going to reinvent the wheel. Nothing on any, any album we review on the show is going to reinvent the fucking wheel. But um, this one sounded like, okay, this is a Frozen Crown song. Yes. This is not Frozen Crown doing something else. This is them kind of being themselves. It's also just really intelligent uh, track placement. I mean, yeah, good point. especially with like power metal albums, when you get the fast kind of power metal beats, for me, at least, if track four had started off, then I would have been like, okay. I would have everybody, been a little bit tired of that. By yeah, that. everybody polka. You know, here we go. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it is. It is. It comes at the right time. Yeah, I kind of even remember thinking like after that super fast Dragon Force esque track three, I was like, well, I hope we get like something a little riffier and mid tempo here. That would be an intuitive choice, and I hope they go in that direction. And they did, so that was nice. Yep, absolutely. Now we need to talk about the rhythm section, which is cool. Right. <laughs> On the next cr- song, Crown Eternal, um, I really like the drumming here. Um, I'm not sure if it's, I wasn't paying, I didn't really count it out. I wasn't sure if it was in a weird time signature or not. Um, but the accents fall in really cool spots during the intro, mm-hmm. especially. And um, yeah, th- this guy was playing, doing some really cool stuff. And, you know, maybe that's kind of uh, Sheena's gent um, background coming in with the accents landing in some odd spots, which really kind of worked in this intro for me. I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, um, um, a minute in, it kind of takes off. And this is kind of the first real um, taste of the um, extreme vocals we get on this one. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise the first time it, it showed up, track five. Yeah, and then, there, then we, get, we even get, like, some blast beats at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's like, and this is, this is one of the cool things that I liked about this song, is that this one did give me some UTA vibes but it didn't feel like they were plucking it right out of the playbook. Like there were moments where I was like, okay, that is a Britney melody or whatever, but this isn't, they're, they're not just doing it play by play by play here. It's, it's definitely like a much more original take um, than, than some of the earlier songs. Yeah. Yeah. I, this one was a bit of a, a bit of a curveball almost like considering what we'd heard thus far. Um, it's, it's just a little more unusual the songwriting was a bit more adventurous and like you say i'm not sure if it's actually an odd time signature or just some uh but there's some strange rhythmic choices being made mm-hmm. and and that is something that sets them apart 
from other power metal bands. And, you know, I can't recall UTA doing anything that was like almost a little mathy in that way. Yeah. Um, they, on the, on the last one, they kind of did on, on Abyss. Abyss is definitely their most experimental. Yeah. Um, they, they did a lot of weird shit on that record, which is, which was a good thing. I liked, yeah. the, weird, I liked the weirdness. Um, but yeah, this one pushes some more towards the extreme metal realm. And I, I liked that. I liked mm-hmm. it. Now we're starting to see a little bit of, you know, a little bit of flavor coming in, a little bit different stuff. We're starting to see the drummer kind of stand out a little bit more mm-hmm. and the bass player stand out a little bit more. We're seeing what these guys could do as a whole band, not just as, you know, people that are kind of like almost aping other people's styles. And it's just a little bit more progressive in terms of, uh, yep. I mean, in terms of the individual riffs and also in terms of the construction of it. Um, there's some interesting kind of unexpected, like augmented harmonies in the, uh, in the chorus, which I really liked. Um, it's, it's a little unusual, but still really well done, still really tasteful. Um, yeah. This was this track that like, I could tell I wasn't quite internalizing all of it. I was like, this is probably going to be a slow burner. It's a grower for sure. Yeah. For sure. It, it was the one that I didn't really, yeah, I, I didn't really get the melodies or anything stuck in my head or go, man, I need to go back and listen to that right now. But it was definitely like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like that, that, that's, that's cool. They did that. You know, like, Oh, that's, it's, it's it, it, like I said, we're, we're starting to see some variants now and I'm kind of going, okay, now my interest is going up here. Yeah. Um, and then the, with the next song, um, my interest gets even further peaked um, because I think the song "The Water Dancer" is super rad. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really cool one. It's um, <laughs> it it is very very European. Like as soon as you hear that keyboard melody in the beginning, yeah, you know it's it's got like uh, you know that little bit of folk influence, but with the synth. I mean, this song in a lot of ways could have been on one of the early Inciferum albums. Yep when Yari was still in that band. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it really has that kind of feel to it. Like Epic, a little bit of a folk influence, um, a little, the, the kind of folk, folk metal tinged with like shredding is a, is a combination that always kind of works for me. It, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's got a, it's got a folk tinge, but it's definitely still a trad metal song. You know, exactly, they, they, yeah. Yeah, they, they play around and they, they kind of flirt with that folky stuff, but, they keep it in the, they keep it traditional. It's very much like a battle song. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's, that's kind of what, what I, uh, how I see it. It's definitely a battle song. It's my favorite on this album so far. I think it's probably my second favorite on the whole record. And you know, my, what I wrote in my notes was more like this, please. Yeah. Like, this is what I want to see more of. This feels like this feels truer to themselves than the early, the first, three, four songs of this, the first three songs of this album, which kind of, well, again, like at that point in the album, I'm like, this is cool, but a little, but very derivative. And now I'm like, okay, this is, and this one just has an earworm of a chorus too. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like, I, I was like, this, at this point, I'm like, I'm dry, I, I like always talk about how I listen to it in my work truck and I'm driving in my truck and I just like, cause my work truck has a pretty fucking badass stereo. And uh, so at this point, the windows go down and the volume goes up. And I'm like, yeah. hell yeah. Like, this, this, is, this is getting me pumped up. I'm going to run over all you fucking jerks in the crosswalk. Like, you know, this is, a, this is a great song. It made me quite happy to hear this. And this one is 100% saved in my iTunes. Like, I, I thought this was a rad song. Very, very much a triumph. I did think it was funny that um, 
while we're talking about UTA connections. The song does start with the narrator like asking yep. people to come gather around the fire to hear a story. Is this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the one, with, yeah, is it a female narrator? Is I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually gave me some Celtic Frost vibes because they yeah. like, they used to have like the, um, definitely not as dark as, as, as Celtic Frost because they used to do that like, they have like a woman talking like over a real like grim part or whatever. Or if you listen to fucking Cold Lake over a really weird, awkward glam part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, they, they did that quite a bit. And I was like, oh man, that almost has like a Celtic Frost feel to it, which is very cool. Um, but I think this, yeah, I guess this, it, it definitely does. It, you know, that, that harkens back to that connection again. But, yeah, it's a, it's know. a little, it begins in a very similar way lyrically to the matriarch, but then it goes off yeah. in, in its own direction. It does. Um, yeah, American, that's a cool song. But, you know, it's, uh, this one is definitely much different. But, yeah, I was, I was very, very excited by this song. And I was like, okay, this, is, this album is definitely starting to grow on me a lot. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like – this one just pops out because it's got that catchy beginning. And it lets you know, like, I hear that kind of keyboard melody in the beginning, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. And then we get more – we get kind of more of the keys, key parts in – Angels in Disguise, which comes next, which is like a very, very distinctive keyboard part. Yeah, this, well, this is like the Eurovision song. Yeah, off the album. <laughs> yeah totally. I agree. Um, it's like, yeah, it's got the key, keyboard part kind of comes in and it does the Eurovision melody. And we get like some start stop riffing underneath it as it goes on. And some cool melodies. Um, some real, I like the vocal harmonies in this a lot. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting, um, and it, I thought it was kind of weird at first, but it grew on me a bit. I felt like, like the, the vocals and the chorus, choruses were very, like, soft, you know? Like, it, it, the delivery was, like, she was almost like she was holding back a bit. Um, mm. And maybe it was on purpose. And she almost sounded tired. But yeah, I, 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 at first I thought, is she tired? But I'm like, no, it's a studio track. You track that shit in sections. Yeah, right. She's not tired unless they made her do it at, like, in the morning or something but and i kind of felt she like she was doing it on purpose and i was like it, yeah i get it like when i listen to like the lyrics and stuff it kind of does suit it a little bit more but i, I thought it was weird at first but after a couple of li- listens i started to think it was kind of cool yeah it's 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 very much like an unashamed pop song like it's it's yeah, definitely yeah, like sure. it's got a little a little bit of the spirit of abba in it with that chorus da, 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 da. and then we even get the like the modulation a half step up at the end you know yeah. uh, after the bridge so it's 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 definitely like the the uh the disco song of the album but yeah. i like it's still well done and, and it's catchy and it's fun and um especially because you know, it, it turns out that the next few tracks, it's going to get a little bit darker, a little more progressive. Um, mm-hmm. a li- you know, the, we're going a little deeper into the dark forest. So it's nice to get like the the really like easily digestible kind of pop song as a prelude to that. Totally. And, and there's even some like, co- like for lack of a better term, like core like breakdowns in it, which actually, you know, is something I'm kind of over in any song, but it kind of works here. Um, yeah. And it had some, and it had some, uh, some cool guitar melodies going on over top of it. So this is a cool song. And, you know, they're, they're starting to really, again, impress me with like some more original songwriting. Then for me, we get a really odd choice. We get a cover song, which is completely, well, obviously that's not original, but I was like, 
I remember reading the word Nightcrawler and I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting choice for a song. That's a very famous Judas Priest song. Well, it was the Judas Priest song. Um, I was like, okay. Um, It's a very competent cover. I don't really know why it came third last on the record and it wasn't a bonus track. Um, But there's nothing wrong with it. I would rather hear Judas Priest's version. But um, I was like, okay, doesn't offend me. I just thought it was an odd choice. Yeah, it's in, we get some, we get her doing some narration, telling the story, mm. um, which I, she seems to like to do. There's a little bit of that on, I think, Crown Eternal too. Yeah. One thing I do like about it is it, it um, really shows off her low range. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, I'm kind of an enthusiast of low women's voices. So I, yeah. I like that she gives, you know, the, Beware the beast in black, Nightcrawler. Yeah, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's, that's Halford's melody, though. I mean, it's like, but it is cool to hear her do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I just think that her voice sounds cool on that part. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Even if for it's sure. an original melody. Yeah, it was a very, I was just kind of surprised to hear. I guess I was like, I, I guess kind of started, I was, I remember saying, oh, yeah, well, like, copy the Judas Priest name, right? And right. then I started listening to it, and I was kind of like zoning out at the first time I listened to it. Um, I think because like I was probably thinking about what job I was driving to next, and um, and I was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> that's that's the Judas Priest song." I'm like, "Okay, I'll listen to Nightcrawler or Night, yeah, 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 you know." So I don't know. It is. It's a cover. It's cool. Um, I wonder I could, if it's I can take um, it or leave it. Well, you figure they're they're adding a new lineup for this album, so I wonder if that was like kind of. The beginning of the project to get everybody on the same page before maybe it was the first song they ever jammed who knows yeah. it could be a, it could be a story there but you know it's there i just didn't i didn't really spend a lot of time with it because you already you know, know that song. well it's just not that i already know it. it's just not an original take on it it's the yeah. same song um which i'm all i'm all for i mean especially like but for me that's usually a bonus track or you know a covers album you know, like, I think we, we talked about this with um, that Crystal Viper album, which has you know a few things in common. Yeah, it has the King Diamond. Yeah, cover. yeah, it's yeah, kind of the same thing. It's like it's cool. Is it really? Does it really belong with the rest of it? But um, I don't know. But it it didn't bother me. I enjoyed it. No, yeah, it didn't bother. Didn't bother me either. I just kind of went okay. <laughs> but I guess unusually for metalheads, I haven't listened to Painkiller all. I don't know that album super well. I, I like it, but it's it's actually like I came to it pretty late in my Judas Priest exploration because I kind of started with the '70s stuff and then, you know, spent a lot of time in the early '80s and then I don't know. It just has taken me a while to get around to Painkiller, so I'm, it's still like a newer track to me. It, it's a yeah, Painkiller was a. I mean, that was an early Priest album for me just because it's it's later and I was young and I'm a young I was younger yeah than most Priest fans, so I was kind of. Cogniz- actually cognizant of heavy metal when it was kind of around and kicking. So it was one of the first ones that I heard. So it does, it holds a nostalgic place for me. Um, I know like a, some, like some of the fucking dorks that, you know, are, are just dorks are really down on it because I don't know, it sounds heavy or like, it, and he's, you know, like Rob, they, they, you know, this guy, this drummer came in and rooted Judas Priest and Pete Taylor just went Judas Priest was ruined. Whatever, dude. That's just a, I mean, it's a rad album. I haven't listened to it. And I don't know. I don't remember the last time I spun Painkiller. It was probably two decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was probably 
you know, there I was probably before 2010, the last time I truly spun painkiller front to back. I think it's high time I did because that is a, yeah. it is a great record. It's not in my top Judas Priest albums anymore. I'm definitely became much more of a seventies priest guy and early eighties, but it's a smoking record. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, um, that's that they did. They did a pretty, pretty, they did a really good job of the song anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good performance. Um, then we get Tales of the Forest, which is just kind of like a two minute piano and guitar piece. And then, you know, it made sense. It, it, it's really cool. It sounds very nice. Um, yeah. It's, it does it's, sound a little, uh, it's, it's busy. It's busy. And it, I guess the, the, the like selection of keyboard sounds really, to me at least, calls to mind like some early, late 90s, early 2000s power metal. Like, oh, it sounds like Nightwish to me. It's like o- Nightwish from like Oceanborn or Wishmaster or something. So it's, it, I, I, it was cool, but it just like, it sounded so like such a particular kind of sound that almost seemed a little dated to me and then on an album with this good production quality it kind of made me wonder why they went that direction with it, it was it was a little strange but i think it's kind of like setting the tone for the next song i guess oh, or, like, yeah. or it's like a juxtaposition for the next song but yeah the first time you listen to it it's kind of like all right what's going on like yeah we got a Judas priest cover now we got this uh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's it's a very odd choice to put it put them in that order um but you know, hey, it's that's okay. Um, it when you listen now, the second time I listened to it, it kind of made a little more sense. But it's there. Um, it's not. Yeah, like you said, it's it's just kind of whatever. It doesn't really take away from the album. Don't know if it adds to it, but it doesn't really take away from it. Well, I think once you, I mean, even even the second time through, though, like you said, it, it once you understand the the role it's playing, yeah. and uh, the fact that we've got a pretty epic track coming up to close the album, and once oh, you know yeah. that about it, then then this intro through the forest kind of builds the anticipation. Yeah. And I really like that. Um, the end of the album with this one, the last song is called blood on the snow. And this song just rips dude. Like I was really, really impressed with this song. This one left mm-hmm. a very good taste in my mouth and the album. So it's eight minutes long and it's kind of, it's cohesive, but it does go all over the place. Mm-hmm. They are experimenting with different things. There's some fantastic riffing, like super tight rhythm playing, mm-hmm. um, really like intense staccato guitar picking. They're really, you can tell the rhythm players are really digging in on these tracks. They've layered it thick with like lots of rhythm tracks that really make it sound big. Um, there's some really cool time changes, accents. This is the most non-traditional sounding song on the record. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost as though they kind of took... Uh, the, the kind of stuff they were doing on Crown Eternal, that song from earlier in the album, and then expanded that into like the most epic track. On the Put album. it on steroids and just crank it. It's the heaviest tune by far. But I'll say that it's also got some of the catchiest and best riffs as well. It's not just, yeah. it's heavy, but it's not just like harsh. It's like, it, it's, it's very catchy and melodic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, the most extensive harsh vocals on the album are in this yeah, I think the first third of the song is pretty much all harsh vocals. Yeah. Um, about that. Um, wicked solos. Um, the end slow, slows down a bit. We get some progressive sections around the five-minute mark. Um, the ending, the bass player gets a little fucking 
accent parts. That was the first time I, yeah, I did too. And it was kind of like the first time we heard him like soloed in the whole, in the, on the record. And it was cool that he had a little moment towards the end. Yeah. It was, it was really cheeky and well done. It was just funny because it's like, yeah, we haven't, the bass playing has been consistent the whole time, but he hasn't had a moment like that. And then in the last five seconds of the album, yeah. and this is an epic track, like, I love a good outro. So this let me, this let me really happy because, you know, the last couple minutes of the song are just this band taking us to Rift Town. Totally. And totally. It's, it's super groovy. And like you say, there's some extremely tight rhythm playing, um, some odd accents. It's a really cool kind of progressive death metal kind of sound almost. And then yeah, at the very end, we're, we're, you know, we've been cruising on this riff and then we kind of get this border, 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 and then that's the end of the album. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the, the bass player was like, make sure you don't forget about me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I definitely think they have, they're having some fun with that. You know how it is. You know, we, we have fun with our outros mm-hmm. in practice, like coming up with little fun accents. That's, that's like the little details of songwriting that are really fun. And I think especially if you're a musician, you'll kind of notice that stuff. Um, and yeah, this is, this is just a great song. It's a great way to end the album. It's almost like we were, you start listening to this record and it's almost like you see a, you're listening to a band find their sound more and more as they go through yeah. it. Um, it's, it, it, it definitely like gets a lot better as it goes. And the one thing I will say to people who are listening to us, if you want to check this album out, stick with it. I mean, if you hear some stuff and you're kind of like me and you're like, I is a little bit derivative don't give up like keep listening because you know you're gonna find some really cool shit towards the end of this record yeah or you know you can just start at the lone stranger when if if in doubt if your time's limited start at track four yeah absolutely um because yeah this and this this one to me was this song was the big highlight i think it was um it got i i i first heard it like i said i was working all week and i first heard it at the end of like a double shift, like I'd worked a full day in the office and then I had to go to an Amazon building actually and do six hours of fire safety inspections at Amazon. So I think I was blasting this song probably like, you know, one in the morning as I was coming out of that job and yeah, it woke me up, you know, I was like, man, that is really, really, really good. So um, it was just yeah. kind of like, yeah, Greg, Greg, like when the, when the first, really fast staccato riffing part came in like my eyes just opened up i was like whoa i haven't heard that all record uh, yeah. so yeah this this song is a triumph this song is really a good way to end a really really strong side beat of this album yeah i was uh catching the the fast ferry back to bremerton yesterday and uh was walking down along alaskan way listening to this track and I, you know, I got to the ferry where I was supposed to get on and the guy was like waiting there, you know, to take my ticket, but mm-hmm. I had to wait like another 45 seconds for that song to be over. There was no way I was going to press pause. <laughs> so the dude was like, what yeah. the fuck? And I'm like, hold on. Wait, this outro is too good, man. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Awesome. So, Hey, I mean, I guess to sum it up, I mean, I thought this album was really solid. I don't think it's a top to bottom listen, but you know, and there was some interesting choices with, uh, you know, a cover in the middle of it. And some of the writing at the beginning for me was maybe a little derivative, but this is a great sounding album. It's very fun. If you like really, 
if you're into musicianship, this is a band to check out. Um, if you like modern power metal, this is very much a band to check out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would 100% put my recommendation full thumbs up behind this record. And, you know, there's about, I think, three or four songs that are definitely going to be in my playlist going forward this year. Not saying it's album of the year, um, but it's definitely, uh, it's worth your time. So if you're out there, Frozen Crown, Winter Vane, I, I, I would say you should check it out. Yeah, I'd say the same. You know, it's, um, it's just this band has so much talent that if you're interested in heavy metal musicians and musicianship, just give it a listen and, and just hear heavy, hear power metal being played really, really well. Um, and, you know, it seems like they found a lineup that really works um, yeah. and sounds really good. So I, I hope they can stick with it and, and stick with this lineup for a couple albums because there's some real dynamite here and, and it'd be cool to hear what they could come up with. And, and I think the kind of like I'm, I, I inferred earlier, like I, the one thing that seems to be missing for me, at least for this band, is a real solid sense of who they are and what specifically they have to offer. Like yeah. the, the musicianship is all here. The, the sound is here. The catchiness is here. But I feel like there's still something that hasn't quite been unlocked in the identity because I, I don't get a sense from the like marketing, I guess, and the album cover and the song titles. Like it doesn't quite add up to anything for me. Yeah. And you want to get, I think that you want to distance yourselves from the UTA comparisons just a little bit more, you know, it's okay. It's cool to have that influence. I mean, obviously, at least the archers are kind of one of the top power metal bands in the world. There's lots of similarities, you know, female singer in a similar range. Um, but you know, it's important that if you want to, for longevity's sake, to really kind of branch out and figure out who Frozen Crown are. Yeah. And, you know, it, definitely like there's going to be some similarities and some similarities are great. I mean, but at the same time, um, I think just a little more um, of finding themselves, which you see them do as this album comes along. So they're already doing that. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, I would like to see more songs like the water dancer, more songs like blood on the snow, more songs like the lone stranger with a different title. That's not the lone stranger. <laughs> um, more songs like even more songs like angel in disguise. Like it's cool to have some popular shit. Um, so yeah, like they, they, there's definitely a huge amount of potential here. This is a very good record, and I think if they kind of go in the direction that they started going to with some of the later songs on this record, then this band has a bright future. Yeah, they could be huge, I think, if they really, if they play their cards right, um, they could get really big, because yep. certainly the talent's there, the sound is there, um, and and the, the catchiness and the, the diversity of, of tactics is all there. So I, I hope they can maximize Lots of that. tactics, baby. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Nate's listening, he'll crack up. Uh, <laughs> Listening to, to that comment. He gets them every time. All right. Well, hey, there we go. Uh, we got through Frozen Crown, Winterbane. And I was uh, very happy to be listening to that all week. And I'm going to keep listening to a lot of it as the weeks go on. Hell yeah. But moving on, we have our picks of the week. And... My pick this week, I'm going to try to not be too melancholy about it. I've talked about this band before, um, but I'm going to um, choose out of my collection, um, Mountain Czar, an EP by the man Karma to Burn. And I have featured a Karma to Burn record on this album before. Um, I don't, I've been on this podcast before. I don't recall which one 
I picked, it would have been either Almost Heathen or Wild Wonderful Purgatory, knowing me. But this this is just an EP, um, and this one is pretty special to me. It's signed by the band from when I saw that when I saw them. Um, it was either when I saw them in 2017 or when I played with them in my old Stoner Rock band in 2015. Um, I don't recall, but um, this band has been a very, very important band to me my entire life. And sadly and tragically, the guitar player and founding member, um, William Meekham, he passed away this week. Um, details are still a little bit uh, interesting as to why, but it's none of the typical rock and roll bullshit of drugs or alcohol or anything like that, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I have a very deep, this band is, was for me, I heard them in 2001 at Scrape Records, which was the local metal shop in Vancouver. And JJ, uh, the guy who owned the place, he's one of my, one of my best friends from back home. Great guy. I have huge influence on me too. Um, he had this playing and I was like, what is this dude? And he was just like, man, it's this, I don't know, it's this band that has no singing. And they're from, they're from the South and they're just like, they're just fucking awesome, man. Like there's so, there's more good riffs in one of these songs than most bands of this genre have on a whole record. And he's totally right. I mean, this is a, this band is Riff City. So a little bit, of, I'm going to talk a little bit about the band. Um, they started in 1997 and William was one of the original founding members in 97. And their last lineup with Evan Devine and um, Eric Clutter on bass, or drums and bass respectively, um, was the, he, that was their latest incarnation, but William was around from the get-go. Um, and they had a run from 97 to 2002. They made some great records in that time. They made their self-titled, they made Almost Heathen, they made Wild Wonderful Purgatory. And that's kind of like the bread and butter to me. They made a comeback in 09 and they were going right up until this year and they put out great records in the 2010s. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough. One of my favorite shows of, with 88 Mile Trip was I was lucky enough to get to play a few shows with them in 2015. Um, and the last time uh, we, we get to hang out with them after the show, they were great dudes. And then I was lucky enough, they came down here and they played with the Obsessed at uh, Highline. And I went to see them there. I hung out with them, I hung out with them dudes all night. There's a lot of cool pictures of us having a good time and frankly what are our better times than we're experiencing right now so you know I was definitely looking at those pictures with a lot of nostalgia but you know if you love great riffs I mean this album was when I wrote the Stoner Rock songs for 88 Mile Trip and I still write a lot of Stoner Rock music on my own um, this was the biggest influence on my riff writing the biggest I mean I love Bam I love Sabbath I love Caius I love you know, Fatso Jetson, I love Fu Manchu, Orange Goblin. But this was the tops for me as far as like what I was drawing on. And, you know, you go listen to the first, especially the first 88 Mile Trip EP, you listen to the song Cauldron Born, uh, song uh, The Green Reaper, um, any of those ones. It's total, they're total Carmen of Birds songs. I mean, like I was, I was definitely um, borrowing a lot of influence from these cats. Um, not enough people know about this band really seriously this is incredible music it's super fun it's super weird um all their song titles are numbers so the subtract listing here is 62 61 60 <laughs> and 63 you know um, and, and most of them they're all just mixed up they have some titles that are that are, are, are words and sometimes they have guest singers their first album has a singer on it because roadrunner records forced them to get a singer uh, 
they were really in, intrigued by the band's riffing, but they're like, you need a singer. And the singer on that album is really good, but I prefer them as an instrumental. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hey, William, rest in power, brother. I mean, it's, I'm super glad I got to meet him. I'm super glad I got to see them play and, and, and play some gigs with them because this band has meant a lot to me and I know it meant a lot to a lot of people. So I just wanted to come and talk about this autographed album because this one means a lot to me now, especially that always has, but especially now that William's not with us anymore. It means even more to me now. So, hey, Carmen to Bird, man, check them out if you're just a fan of music and good guitarists. Are, um, you think there will continue to be a Carmen to Bird without William? Um, I have a hard time seeing it. Um, he was kind of like, you get the feeling he was kind of the guy keeping the party going. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, the other guys, the other dudes played a huge role in it too. And, you know, they've been in the band now for a long ass time. So, I mean, it's possible that they could go on in some incarnation. They might even, I, I, my hope is that they kind of continue on as a band, but maybe call it something else because I'd mm -hmm. still pay attention. Um, but I, you know, I hope those guys find something to do musically. I hope this doesn't end their careers. You know, I, I imagine they're going to find it pretty hard going forward. I know those guys are super tight. Um, and they're just, man, they're the, they're the coolest guys. They just, you know, at the Highline, they were, you know, they remembered me from the gig in Vancouver. You know, after their set, we just kind of, we hung out. We watched the Obsessed together. We hung out on the, on the patio and watched Weed Eater together. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. So um, I, I hope they, I hope those guys are okay. And I hope they, uh, they wind up doing something cool. Mm-hmm. On a happier note, what do you got, man? <laughs> um, well, also someone who's left us, but that was a long time ago. Uh, I've got Thin Lizzy with the album Nightlife. Yeah, nineteen seventy-four. Man, that's a that's a that's a deep choice. Yeah, you know this is um, it's not a Thin Lizzy album I hear people talking about a lot. No, um, and you know I guess it was it, it was their first album as a quartet with the classic lineup um, with uh, Scott Gorham and, Brody and, um, and uh, Brian Downey. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Robertson and Gorham. Yeah, Robbo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so first, yeah, first album as a quartet uh, came right before Fighting. And they were kind of, I think, still kind of figuring out their sound and trying to figure out what direction they wanted to go in. So it's a pretty diverse album there's a lot of different kind of sounds they experiment with um i didn't really know anything about it i just uh kind of had never really heard of it much and then came across it in a record shop and was just like oh thin lizzy well i'm gonna like that yeah um, and so i've never actually listened to this album in any other medium but, but vinyl um but i really enjoy it it's uh it's got a lot more like soul and funk influence than some of the other Thin Lizzy albums. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and it kind of suits the name. It seems like a very nocturnal album. I wouldn't call this a breakfast album, um, <laughs> nor would I call it a, a, a barbecue album. It might not even be a dinner album. This is like a... Um, it's a nightcap. Yeah, yeah, it's a nightcap album or like a, a entertaining someone special, that special right. someone kind of album. Got ah. that, that energy too because of the, the soul influence yeah um also on this album when i bought it they uh they flipped the labels on the sides of the record so 
side two has the side one label and oh. side one has the side two label. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've had someone get me with that before too. Yep. And, and, you know, for a hot second, I was like, oh man, like that part of me that remembers like trading card games from being a teenager. I was like, yeah, maybe this is like worth something, but nope, it's only good for uh, confusing me consistently, even though I know, <laughs> even though I pick up the record and I'm like, now I want to listen to side one, which means I'm going to have to put on side two. Like, you understand, yeah. buddy? Yeah. And then I put on side one and listen to side two. <laughs> well, hey, man, like you, know, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a late into the evening record. So perhaps yeah. there's been a couple glasses of red wine or, you know, perhaps your attention is diverted elsewhere. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some great tunes on this. It's a really, it's, it's more mellow than probably any other Thin Lizzy album. Although there are a couple burners on it, like Shalala on side two. Um, but some of these tracks, She Knows, Nightlife, Still In Love With You. These are like, I don't know, they, they feel like, uh, you know, late night bar band kind of yeah. tracks. And she just Knows some, is a really cool song. I really like that one. Yeah, yeah that one is really cool. Um, and of course, there's some great guitar playing. I mean, it's to be expected, but uh, it's fun to hear the guys playing these like slow kind of soulful ballads and just really letting the the guitar drip with soul a bit. It, it's it's cool to hear. Um, and then um, it, it's kind of we get like the two. I mean, everything Lizzie album, right? You're going to kind of get the multiple sides of Phil in it. You're going to get that more kind of street oriented kind of thing, and you're going to get the very Irish um kind of deal and you definitely get both of those especially like a lot of the songs on side one are more soul influenced and then side two you get like a really interesting mix of things like showdown is kind of a little bit of a funk song kind of um and then philomena is just like it's one of the most irish songs thinly as lizzie ever did of course it's his song for his mother and he even like brings you know he I guess as someone who's like a, you know, a, a mixed race person, he's able to kind of code switch. And for this one, he did, even even the Irish accent kind of comes out more for Philomena, mm. which is, it's it's a great little song and obviously really uh, deeply felt. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not necessarily like if someone said, hey, what does Thin Lizzy sound like? You probably wouldn't hand him this record. You'd hand him Jailbreak or Fighting or any number of other albums, but, um, but I think this is still a classic in its own right. It's just, it's, there's no filler. Like it, it really uh, creates this cool mellow vibe. Great to listen to late at night. Always feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really hear people talk about it. So I just wanted to bring a little attention to, uh, I think a little bit of a hidden gem in Thin Lizzy's catalog. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a th- interesting thing that you said about the, like the kind of, you know, pub rock thing for me, like, I mean, Thin Lizzy obviously was a big band and they played stadiums and stuff. And some of their songs were definitely geared towards that. But they always, like, hearken images of, like, a, a smoky British pub to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, it's, and not to just be obvious about it, but, like, that is a big part of Irish culture is the pub culture and the, the kind of informality of it. Like, no matter what the size of the venue you're playing, like, you know, I, you get the sense of like the storytelling in an intimate pub setting is really where this is all their music is founded and where Phil Linnett's style comes from. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's why when you're walking down Grafton street in Dublin, you know, there's a statue of Phil right there. It's, that's a, a place he definitely earned by being a, a bard in yeah. the <laughs> great Celtic tradition. 
You know, totally. so yep, definitely recommend uh, Nightlife. It's good for more than just T-shirts. It's one of yeah. those albums that like this the the cover image is so cool that it you see it a lot with the Black Panther and the moon and the skyline. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like I see a lot of people wearing like Thin Lizzy T-shirts that have Nightlife cover on it. But I'm like, that's true. You know the record though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's a it's, it's a cool one. That's a very cool pick, man. So. I'm going to go listen to that tonight before I go to bed. All right. <laughs> It'll be a good, good. It's like, actually, yeah, it's a good album to wind down to. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way, but like, you know, like smoke, nice smoky Scotch whiskey and some that thin Lizzie record. That's a good way to wind down. Oh, absolutely. Can't beat it. Um, all right. So we're just going to move on to our discussion topic uh, moving right along here. Um, and I wanted to talk about um, the concept of selling out in, in, in heavy metal. Like when they say, so when they talk about, and this, I guess, goes probably for punk rock too, and maybe some like, you know, rock and roll stuff. But when they talk about the, uh, co- the concept of selling out in music, which is to me um, a bit of an interesting um, thing to talk about in a, an area where, you know, these bands are all professional musicians. If you get to a point where you can, you can sell out, like when that's a thing you can do, um, you're probably, that's your career at that point. So it's an interesting concept when people talk about selling out when someone's in someone's job, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's an interesting concept. I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just, it's just an odd thing. For me, it, 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 it creates a lot of conflicting thoughts because, you know, like we kind of talked about offline before we came on, um, and you like very astutely brought up, um, you know, when, when you're a musician, you kind of like see how hard it is to make a go of this shit uh, financially. Um, there's not a lot of people, I think, in metal anymore in the world who are, you know, lining their bank accounts by playing heavy metal music. Yeah, no. And uh, I mean, I'd be interested to hear kind of where the concept of selling out really originated in music i mean i guess the idea is you want to stay true to your roots and your fans and be kind of connected to the the legacy of the scene that you came out of and not it it seems like the way people use it has less to do with any actual money and just more to do with how the artistic legacy is managed correct what what you're doing with your legacy and what you're how you're treating the material and and the people who I mean, maybe to a point, but I think if you, uh, let, let's say, for example, do you think people would say the same? Let's say, let's say, for example, like, let's think our band. Let's say Greyhawk is, is cruising along. We're, we get five albums deep into our career. We're making our usual brand of, you know, power, traditional power, trad, shred, whatever the fuck you want to call it, we do. Um, and all of a sudden we go, you know what? We're a death metal band. <laughs> and we start playing like tech death. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone would call that selling out. I think that would be the, maybe the opposite because we're making music that, you know, probably appeals to a, a smaller demographic. Even fewer people. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, <laughs> so, um, but I guess, uh, I mean, I guess the most, ex- the most obvious example of this is Metallica. Okay. Like that's, yeah. it, it talk about heavy metal. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the most obvious, most famous example. I mean, you're talking about, a band who in the eighties was kind of like the champions of thrash metal for a time. Um, you know, they were, they were the ones who kind of started breaking out of this, of the, of the underground, but I mean, they, 
they're breaking out, you know, on their own without any radio support. And, you know, they get to a point where, you know, the 90s roll around and they decide that they're going to hook up with the guy who made the Motley Crue records and they're going to make a nice sounding, very polished, very um, pop tin, pop rock tin, especially for the time. And for, um, I mean, that album might be considered heavy by some of today's standards, but um, for the time it was very poppy and very melodic and very nice sounding compared to their earlier stuff. Um, they make the Black Album. The Black Album is platinum a bazillion times. I mean, Jason Newstead recently in an interview said he still pays his entire bills off the royalties from that album. Like he doesn't have to work because of it, you know? Um, so they, they, they do that. And, you know, I look at it and go, you know, well, they, they had a lot of momentum. I mean, Justice for All had the video for one. Like they did, people were, so this is interesting. Like people who were calling, people have been calling that band sellouts since 1984. <laughs> I ain't fucking making that up. They put out Ride the Lightning and people called them sellouts. Right. Seriously. Because Kill Em All is all, you know, it's, it's super fast. It's, you know, the, the slowest song is, the most melodic song is probably Seek and Destroy on the album. And, you know, then they get to Ride the Lightning and there's a song like Fade to Black on it, right? <laughs> or, like, or Escape. I never escape, hear anyone talking yeah. about that. Yeah, it was just, Escape was like kind of kind of a poppy one, you know? Yeah. So um, there was those songs on it and they're telling them you're selling out. Then they do Master of Puppets and it sounds more polished and, you know, Hetfield's singing a little more as opposed to barking and they're selling out again and then when it came to injustice for all they made a music video god forbid you'd make a music video and then they were selling out again and you know that they kept saying that but i don't know to me like to me i think if you're gonna go say a band can sell out it the point that they sold out was the black album because you look at i look at it two ways you know one that video that was a hit that was a big hit and they had a lot of momentum and whatever they did on the next record was going to blow up. It wouldn't have mattered. It didn't like, it was, was Lars farting on a snare drum through a megaphone. It would have, it would have sold. Well, I mean, yeah, if you watch, and, and if you watch videos like, uh, like the Seattle 1989 concert, like that's not it's a, huge. that's not a small concert. Dude, you know? they, they did the seed. They did a CD release listening party for the black album in Madison square garden. Yeah. Like they, like I think it was Madison Square Garden. Anyway, it was some arena and they were doing, like they were literally having a, they were pre-screening the album and just playing, not even performing it. They were playing it over the PA and it sold out. Yeah. The CD sold out an arena, right? Yeah. That's how big they were. Now, it, it, part of me, especially when I was younger, all those bastards, they had all the momentum in the world and, they should have just come out with a balls out aggressive record and then metal would have taken over the world and blah, blah, blah. And then now that I'm older, I'm like, that probably isn't what happened. They just would have had a much less lucrative career and it might've been shorter. Um, you know, the, the move they did was clearly, I mean, possibly artistically they wanted to do that. And, you know, there are some aspects of the black album that are quite good and quite, and, and have some artistic merit, but they definitely want to make some money. Yeah. I mean, but isn't that part of, like, I think to some extent that's a natural part of, of being an abandoned. I'm sure once you've kind of tasted success, you're like, 
how do we, yeah, like how do we make the music we want to make, but how do we maneuver to, to like get the most attention or, or reach the most listeners? I mean, I think that's a natural kind of question to ask yourself as a musician. Sure. And, I mean, they, they spent, how many hours have they spent in smelly vans and sleeping in? Yeah. They pay their dues, right? I mean, how many hours do they spend in, in, in sweaty vans and, you know, on, on tour buses and God, they lost their fucking bass player, you know, and they, you know, and been through a lot. And, you know, it, here's, a, here's, a, here's a parallel I'll draw, you know, in the professional wrestling world, which is a world yeah. I'm very familiar with. If somebody, if there's a, an indie wrestler who wrestles all over the world um, and they get a big break and they make it to WWE, um, no, very few people call them a sellout. You know, you're, you're, you're yeah. some dorks would, but those are like the neck beards in their parents' basement. Like they're just, I don't know, not worth your time thinking about what they think, but people were happy for them. It's like, Oh great. Wicked. You've got a break. All those, all those hours falling through tables and bingo halls and wrestling to five people. It's all paid off. And now you're going to get paid in, in, in music. No one's happy for you. Like Metallica gets yeah. a break and they make billions of dollars and they get extremely wealthy and no one's happy for them. They're like, Fuck you, man. Like you sold out. You're not one of us anymore. You know, unpopular opinion, maybe. I, I wasn't there for the Black Album. I mean, I, I guess I was one and a half when the Black Album came out. But um, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's kind of artistically interesting given the trajectory of Metallica's career. Like, I, I think it's fairly valid to my ears. Like, it's, they clearly, you can hear a thread in, in Metallica's music as they kind of discover how good they are at playing ballads and stuff. Fade to Black is great. Like it's, it really stands out from a songwriting perspective among other metal records at the time because they had this kind of huskier, uh, darker sound because of Hetfield's voice and because of the riffing and everything. When they combine that with ballads, it it really worked. And even like Lars's kind of flamboyant drumming style works better for slower songs. Yeah, you don't have to be as precise, and you can just boom, 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 and it works um and so you you kind of listen through lightning and master of puppets and justice and you can kind of hear those these these moments where there is that pop sensibility and it works really well and i think it's completely artistically valid that they would want to like okay how can we do something that's going to combine the darkness of the metal sound with a pop sound without like going in a hair metal direction how can we maintain the the kind of like some of some of the aggression and the tone and the huskiness of the tone while kind of making it more accessible and creating a little bit more space in the music and i think they did something that was actually pretty original like i can't think of it's not like they copied something else that hadn't been done before no no it's a very it's a very i i would say it's a good rock album and i think it's you know i I don't know that it's necessarily it borders on metal but i think it's more like a rock hard rock album but it's very the songs are very good. And from yeah. a musical standpoint, they're super catchy. They're well-written. The production on that album is fantastic. Yeah. And it's, there's some really classic shit. I love the Unforgiven. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. these things are overplayed, so we kind of forget how great they are. So I think that the, the mistake comes next. I think it's, it's only in <laughs> retrospect for me. The Black oh, Album, yeah. a, as an experiment that was you know really, really successful, cool props to them 
the problem is they just completely failed to do anything valid after that, which makes the Black Album look like the mistake. Whereas really, it was the the load that was the mistake. I mean, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think. I don't think anyone's really saying it's a mistake. I mean, I think clearly the Black Album is a conscious um, decision, um, and it's. It, I don't. I don't think anyone would argue that the Black Album isn't well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they did then you're probably a little bit deaf because it is a very well-made record. Um, you could not like the songs on it, you know, until the cows come home. And there are some songs I like on it, some songs I don't. I've never, it's never an album that, I mean, I've definitely listened to it intently. I just, it's never one of the Metallic albums I spent a lot of time with. Um, I mean, you could cut three or four of those songs and be fine. Sure. But I mean, I, I definitely, but for me, looking at it from an artistic standpoint, I mean, you're right. I mean, if you make if you're a band like that and you make an album like Injustice for All, that's probably about as technical and as heavy as they were going to be able to get with given most even given the ta- some of the talent that was in the band. I mean, mm-hmm. as as far as as fast as we're gonna, like Lars is not going to drum on a heavier record than that. He's not going to be able to do it. Um, Kirk Hammett's soloing ability is limited. Um, you know, New Sense a fine bass player. Hetfield's a wicked rhythm player and a great. Hetfield's probably the most talented guy in the band. Um, but it's not like they were going to be able to make a heavier record than that. So I guess it begs the question at that point: What do you do? Um, and you're also sitting there. I think they they're probably sitting there going, "Shit, well it's 1990, 91. We've been doing this for ten years. You know, we're now pushing our thirties. How do we make sure we can do this for the rest of our lives?" How do we make sure we don't have to go back and get day jobs that we now have absolutely no qualifications or real life skills to do? Because all we've been doing is playing heavy metal and partying for the last 10 years. Okay. You know, like, how do you go back and like, you're not going to go back to school there. You don't have any other viable skills in the workforce. Um, you, they've kind of put all their eggs in one basket. So now it's not just a career decision. It's a life decision where you have to go. How do we make this? How do we make a buck? You know, how do, how do we, and I don't blame anyone for wanting to get wealthy. I mean, in, in this in this world we live in, I can't fault anyone for wanting to say, "Hey, man, I want to." If you get two choices, you're sitting, you're sitting there. Any one of us musicians who have sweated in vans and eaten at gas stations and slept in fucking unheated trailers and every other goddamn thing, been you know, attacked by scary fucking strippers in small towns in Canada, <laughs> slept in ditches and gravel pits and, you know, had to fucking carry their bandmates home from parties and clean up vomit and clean up vomit in the van and clean up people who shit all over the mattress in a van and, you know, every other goddamn thing that happens to you under the sun. Um, dealt with awful local bands <laughs> all over the place and people who sound check for two hours and, you know, promoters that you have to fight to get paid and blah, blah, blah. Anybody that's gone through all that, you sit there at some point, some guys and say, Miss, you can make another record just like the one you guys have always been making. It'll do real good. You'll have a good payday. You know, the fan base that you have will be pretty happy. You know, life will be all right. You make this record, I'll make you millions. You'll open yourself to new fans. You'll tour the world and stadiums for the next 20 years you're gonna get you're gonna be able to live off the royalties for this thing forever um if you just listen to me and follow me and they listen to bob rock on that album like they hired him 
to help. Like literally, they have these. I think they had some of these songs going, but they hired. But if you watch the documentary Year and Half of the Life of Metallica, they hired him to make a hit record. Like that's what they wanted to do, and I fucking get it. You know, like it's it's anybody who's done that shit, you know, and and lived that life and has worked so hard to you know chase their dream of you know making making it, so to speak. Um, that second door is very tempting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot of, there's a lot of people who might tell me though, they'll turn it down. And then I'll tell them that, you know, Hey, I got some waterfront property in Saskatchewan that I could sell you. <laughs> it's oceanfront property in Northern Saskatchewan. And I'll sell that to you too, because you're fucking completely lying to me. <laughs> Cause everybody would take door number two. If that opportunity is presented to you now, to get there is not easy. Like they had to work and scratch and claw to get there. So they get there, they make the hit record. Um, is that selling out or is that just making the right move for A, for your, for your career, for the point your body is getting in your life where maybe you can't do this intense shit as well anymore or, and, or just artistically you want to play something different, you know, can, and again, like, like I said, it's the wrestling analogy. A wrestler gets to the WWE. They're not going to be doing the triple reverse plancha off the top of the balcony and driving somebody through three tables anymore. They're going to be doing a lot more standard wrestling moves. But everyone's happy for them because they made it, you mm-hmm. know? And in metal, everyone's like, you sold out, fuck you. Well, this goes back to, like, a few weeks ago we talked about pop music and metal and – and I think this kind of goes back to that idea that there's like underground music, which is legit and good. And then there's popular music, which is evil and corrupt. And these things are diabolically opposed and never the twain shall meet. But increasingly, I mean, if that were ever the case, I don't know, but it's certainly not the case now. Like now there's a lot more, I think, equality in terms of how music is produced and distributed. Certainly. All being given more directly to fans through the internet. So it, I just don't think that that like division between, oh, you've like crossed the secret invisible line between like legit and poser. It's, it's like, less, I mean, like you can look at a band like In Flames. I mean, and they, where they were playing, making really cool, creative, like death thrash albums in the nineties and the early two thousands. And then they definitely went a lot more towards like what the trendier, you know, they went a lot more pop, poppy, a lot more melodic. And, you know, hey, maybe, I don't know if it, whether they're doing it for a payday or it's because they just want to do it. I don't know, but they definitely got, they're definitely got called out for selling out. Yeah. Um, there's been, and there's been a few other examples. And, you know, a lot of times when bands quote unquote sell out, I, I stop listening to the new stuff. Like, let's backtrack a minute. You, were, you said something, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm defending newer Metallica. Newer Metallica stinks. Like, you know, Load and Reload stink. St. Anger stinks. Death Magnetic stinks. Hardwired stinks. Like, they just... There's a few moments in Death Magnetic and Hardwired that were kind of cool. But for the most part, it stinks. They did, however, film the best comedy of the last 20 years (laughs) in the documentary Some Kind of Monster. That is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. That scene where Lars Ulrich and Mustaine are in therapy is absolutely hysterical. Like... I'm sorry. I have no sympathy for crying millionaires. I know like that there's some personal stuff they had to work out, but it just, 
you know, there's a couple of like millionaire musicians who've been paid to like party and jack off their whole lives and they're crying at each other about stuff from 1983. It's absolutely hysterical, but you know, maybe I'm insensitive, <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's some other bands, you know, when people do say they sell out, I mean, I think they, for me, I, I stopped listening to In Flames, I think, I think later than a lot of people did. After re- I, I actually kind of liked Reroute re- to Remain, and after that, I kind of tuned out um, with the stuff they were doing after. It kind of started to sound a little bit more like that All That Remains bands or whatever, the kind of like screamy, singy, screamy, singy stuff, yeah. you know, um, that was pretty damn popular at the time. Um, so, I, you know, for me, when, when bands do that, I guess, I guess maybe it's because my sensibilities as a longtime touring musician, but... I never, I don't judge them that hard. I just don't buy their records. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think it's hard to talk about being a sellout in, in, a, in a thing that is your job. Like if I take a raise at work, does that mean I'm a sellout? Like if I stop being a fire service tech and I stop climbing inside of greasy hoods and climbing on top, top of greasy hoods and, you know, drilling holes in metal and, you know, running pipe through a pipe threader and, I do what I've done. I've taken a management job where I run a depart. I help run a department. Am I a sellout? No, fuck no. I just took a raise and I took a better job. You know, like yeah. I mean, that's that's where, of course, like I think it's easier for us to see as musicians because we're musicians. We know musicians in various genres at kind of different levels of of professional engagement, and we know that like it's it's a job, it's a lifestyle, it's not, we're, artists are not like magic producers of art necessarily. No. I, think, I think some people who aren't as in the arts might kind of just feel a little bit entitled to like keep receiving the same kind of product, but that's not, that's not how artists actually work because artists are people and they are working like other people do other jobs or hobbies. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. And and yet I think as your circumstances change in your life, you know, so does your writing. I mean, I think it's hard to write. It'd probably be hard for Metallica to write angry thrash metal now because their lives are probably pretty rad. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like if you spend all day, like if I spent all day doing a James Hetfield, like, driving around in sick hot rods and living in a mansion, I'd probably be like, I don't know, what am I mad about? Yeah. And you know, at a certain point, like metal is a very intense genre to play physically. And, you know, it feels good to play it when you've got a lot of energy to play it, but like, it also feels good to play other kinds of music. And at a certain point, you know, you want to play what feels good to your body at the time and if you're like 55 that mm-hmm. might not be you know kill them all front to back i heard paul stanley from kiss who's paul stanley is one of my favorite people in music he's just such an absolute he is such a great guy like he's 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 one of like the the absolute best people most generous people in rock and roll he's like he's super smart and he's super socially conscious and he's just a great dude but he wants to end an interview he's like you know you, you gotta like He's, he's like, when, when, it's hard to really maintain a certain connection to some aspects of rock and roll. And the biggest part of your problem of your day is my butler called in sick because he has the flu. You right. know, like, he's like, you really have to like be conscious of that. And I think he was talking about like kind of, you know, how 
some bands struggle with keeping real because of that, because you get rich and you get a bunch of money. And then how can you really write songs that your average person can relate to? So that's also an, an interesting aspect of it. But I mean, I don't know. I think that, I think that for me, I think the concept of calling, I once someone called someone on my Facebook called Ozzy Osbourne a sellout the other day. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. Selling out to what? To what? I mean, on MTV and stuff. Or he has like a reality show. I mean, what else is he supposed to do when he's in his fifties? You know, like it just, I don't know. I th- I, th- I just thought that was a weird thing. I mean, I never, I think I, th- I did. I watched some of this reality show and I honestly, I just, parts of it were funny. I just thought it was really sad because he looked really fucked up. But yeah, um, it was, and it was kind of seemed to be exploiting him in a way that was, I don't know, felt a little odd to me. It, it felt a little odd. Like there was, some, he is a genuinely hilarious guy. If you could decipher what the fuck he's saying, like a lot of right. it is hilarious, but he was just like, he seemed like he, we were laughing. It's like, oh, look at the drug addict. Isn't it funny? You know, like it was just, yeah. It, I mean, it, it was sometimes, but it, sometimes I was just like, this just kind of seems like we're laughing at a drug addict and it's kind of uncomfortable. But I don't know. I, you could call Ozzy a sellout. I mean, I don't think at this point in his life, he has too much control over the music he makes. You know, the guy's fucking in his 70s. You know, yeah. like, I don't think he has too much control of that. And, you know, I think at this point, he's probably just a vehicle for money for his bitch of a wife, to be, fr- to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, that woman has zero redeeming qualities to me. She's just the fucking racist old bitch. So I don't have any problems saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I felt like she was exploiting him for a long ass time. So that's definitely the, yeah, it was kind of weird to see the vibe from what I remember. Well, let's, let's just briefly bring up kind of a different type of selling out. Sure. Um, so we've, we've kind of talked about like changing your sound to reflect popular tastes. That's one way, but what about like using the music for, for other purposes? So like music and ads, that's always one that kind of like got me. So imagine, yeah. So, so what if like someone comes to Greyhawk and is like, Hey, we want to use don't wait for the wizard in this Bud Light commercial, (laughs) you know, and it's going to make you all this money, but your music's going to be forever associated with Bud Light. Am I allowed to make a statement that says, Hey, I'm just doing this for the money. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this so we can come to Europe and play for our fans in Germany. You know, like, cause that would kind of be the only motivation for me. I'd be like, Hey man, we'll, get, we'll put this, I uh, will put this song in a Bud Light commercial and old Anheuser Busch is going to pay our way to Germany. You know, yeah. <laughs> we get a new shot. We'll get a new shiny RV for tour in America. And you know, the royalties of that will pay for our time off. and We can go, play for everybody in faraway lands so i'd probably say hell yeah <laughs> you know and you know me i you know how i feel about anheuser bush i fuck <laughs> that company if you're listening i don't hate you enough to, to give you my song but i kind of hate you <laughs> so that's a that's an interesting one um so here's I, I don't know how the how it works but i know a lot of times like for example in in pro wrestling again i'm going to go back to that world this world i know a lot about um, a lot of those uh, companies have music divisions. Like, there's one dude, Jim Johnson, who wrote like all the WWF, WWF, WWE theme songs for like 30 years. He wrote all of them. Um, Jimmy Hart was a manager. He wrote a lot of them. He wrote a lot of them for WCW in the 90s, too. But there's a couple people, like, when CM Punk was in WWE, 
E, they eventually bought the rights to uh, Cult of Personality by um, Living Color. Mm-hmm. Come down to that. So Vince McMahon owns that song now. Wow. Right? Like, it's not like he has the right to play it. Like, he owns that song. Because if he didn't own it, he'd have to pay them royalties every time he played it. So, like, they, he bought the rights to it. So a lot of those, a lot of those, um, and there was a, another song by the Pixies that I think was heard in, um, me and my wife were watching an AEW program, and Tony Khan owns that when he's a billionaire. And I think they bought that song too. So a lot of the times, like, they will actually buy the rights to the music from the, uh, from the artist for a lot of money. Yeah. So whoever gets, that's a big payday. I'm sure those guys in Living Color got millions. Yeah. That. Um, and then, cause I think there's like, there's issues with using it like on another, like on your TV show on a network, like there's some issues with it, but you have to get the audience to sign, sign off to a certain point. There's another famous story of, uh, a Microsoft commercial from the nineties. They did a, I think it was windows 1995, maybe, or one of the windows they did a, uh, ad and they had start me up by the rolling stones in it mm-hmm. and that was a big deal because mick jagger said he would never sell his music to anyone and oh yeah, I'm bill, about this, yeah. bill gates wanted to use that song so mick jagger's like no not even gonna do it. Bill, bill gates eventually convinces him to have a meeting they sit down in an office and bill gates says how much would it take for you to give me that song mick jagger says he's like well no he's no just theoretically you know, if you could name a price for it, what would you name? And Mick Jagger names some idiotic amount of money. Bill Gates goes, done. You got it. So I think it was probably something like $100 million. Yeah. Bill Gates was like, no problem. It's yours. Just for like the rights to one song for one commercial. Yeah, That's insane. That is fucking insane. And, you know, but I, I don't know. I think... I think that's, it's interesting. I guess it depends on the name. I mean, I might have a bit of, I mean, if I, if we were a bigger band and we made more money off our music, I'd probably tell Budweiser to shove it up their asses. Um, but since we're not, and like in our case, it would definitely lead us to like, you know, it would kick open a lot of doors touring wise. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, if you're in a, I think that's the, the, the question that gets raised with someone like Mick Jagger, who yeah. seemingly at that point probably was already doing fine. Oh yeah, you but know. I mean, Bill, he didn't have Bill Gates money. You know, I think right. hundred hundred million bucks for anybody is a life changing lump sum of money. But for for okay, let's 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 play a hypothetical situation. Greyhawk's a big band. We we tour the world. We play stadiums. Um, we're make the the band is now our job, right? Like we get a big break somehow, and you know we're 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 touring the world and playing stadiums. But like comes and says we want like fuck you, hell no. We don't need your money, you know. Yeah. It was like Samuel Adams that came and said, "Hey, we want to use your song for um, Sam Adams, you know, Boston Lager." Hell yeah, independent brewery, you've got it, you know. So I think for me, it would really depend on the nature of what product it was. Sure. I definitely wouldn't want to put my name behind Amazon or. Um, political campaigns political campaigns or yeah. of, of any kind i just wouldn't want politics mixed up with our music mm-hmm. um i wouldn't want it in like you know uh, a, a company like anheuser bush that has very you know questionable business ethics and business practices you know 
Um, so there's, there's this, that, that, that would come to a point as an independent band, I would do it because it would give us a bigger platform and it would definitely like that payday would send us on tour and it would change our lives. Um, but I would definitely would, if, if, I mean, it would have to be a Mick Jagger amount of money for that, for Bud Light to get one of our songs. In my <laughs> right. <laughs> Bud Light could fuck off. <laughs> but that yeah. is, what, do, what do you think about that whole thing with product placement? I mean, Again, like maybe it's just as I get older and, and, and it, it things seem less black and white. So it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like some black and white thing where just because it's a product means that you're dishonest for sharing your music. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on the situation. Like what's what do you what's the goal of making the music? What's the message of the music? Mm-hmm. And what's you know, who's using it? What are they using it for? What is yeah. like what is it? karmically you know like it's it would be i don't know there's a lot of organizations i probably wouldn't want to use it for but at the same time um i don't know of course i would i would consider it because like not easy and life being a little easier would be nice and especially yeah exactly i mean time to do creative stuff and yeah i was gonna say kind of like you said i just it, it would be a very case by case kind of thing and you do have to think about how it would look how it blows back on you you know how does it look on the band to to put your name your name with that product yeah exactly and yeah for me like if, if we didn't need the money bud light man um like moosehead or in any ind- any independent bis- brewery sure like absolutely that's really cool um the payday would probably be a lot less but i would feel good about having that song in in a commercial for a product like that, as long as it was done properly. Um, right. So I, well, I think it, it occurs to me that like the, the level that a band is at kind of makes a difference for how they're going to be judged in this way. Cause if, you know, if you're a local level band or, or small independent band and then you totally change your sound and show up in a bunch of Super Bowl commercials, no one's really going to blame you because they didn't know you before. It seems like the, the area where people get judged the hardest for that is if they're doing pretty well already and then they do something to like take it up to the next level because then people are going to start being like oh they've lost touch with the fans and the everyday people and success has gone to their heads um but of course i think that there's a bit of a distorted effect of like when you have a certain amount of success people kind of assume that means you have a lot of money too and it doesn't always work that way that's true. I mean, the guys in Testament, all that, most of them, I think everyone except Alex has a job. Yeah. You know, like a lot of, a lot of these guys that you see on tour all the time, you know, when they're home, they're working. I mean, some of their bands pay them fairly well, but when they go back home, they all work. Yeah. So please keep that in mind. If you see somebody, you know, doing something because they want to make a little bit of money. I mean, chances are they're doing that because they got it, not because they just are trying to be a greedy asshole or, whatever chances are they probably just have to do it also worth pointing out that it's really fun to play music that people like and that people respond to positively yeah oh you know it it can be and it's just sometimes like poppy accessible music is also really fun to play sometimes so there's something to that too i think that i would not i i would not always assume um 
just purely financial motives for these kinds of things either. Like sometimes people just tend to drift towards more accessible music as they age. And I think that's something we can see in a lot of bands' trajectories. More often than not, bands get more tame as they go. Not always, but in most cases. And part of that is you age, you mellow out. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. That, that's all very true and you know i guess it's it's just a matter of how you do it how you experiment and you know there's there comes a, but there does come a time when you it, it's either time to do a side project or it's time to do a new band yeah because if, if you're if you're drifting so far away that you're not being fairly true to your fan base then you're kind of insulting them a little bit and you really should um put another label on it then it just, yeah it'll it, it, not not just for the I mean, for respect for your fans, but also just for how it's going to be received. You know, if you do, I certainly, if I wanted to do like a funk jazz fusion project, I would, even if you guys wanted to join me, we definitely would put a d- different name, not Greyhawk on it. Right. <laughs> you know, like it would definitely be something on the side because, you know, I just wouldn't fit and it wouldn't, and the audience wouldn't be stoked to, to, to pick it up. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, let I me mean, guess kind of like we're kind of like winding down here but like i guess the idea is the concept of selling out is actually probably kind of more complicated than we thought yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot of variables at play it's it's not always black and white and i don't know i just don't think it's anything to get mad about but maybe i'm just getting old and mellow and i think there's a lot of things that there's a lot of better things to get mad about than that (laughs) yeah i just i think people should be making music that they enjoy and if they can make a living doing that, then awesome. That's yeah, and, and, and really no one's, ain't nobody forcing you to buy the record. If you don't want, if you don't want to buy it, just don't buy it and go find shit that you do like. Don't yeah. waste your don't waste your time being mad about stuff. You know, well, I, th- I, I think people also just a lot of times they'll try to take their own feelings and and put it out there like it's some sort of objective thing. I think a lot of times the more honest reply to this kind of thing would just be, "Oh, I don't like the new direction the band's going." Yeah, sure. You don't and have I mean, to like justify it by saying, oh, they're bad. They're selling out. That's It's like all part of this evil plot. It's just, I'm not a big fan of it. No, exactly. I, I don't, I don't feel like listening to that anymore. You know, that that's their, that's their direction. They're going good for them. I mean, they want to have, you know, heavy metal with like, you know, disco beats and flutes and, you know, trombones and shit. That's cool, but not for me, <laughs> you know, like whatever, whatever they want to do. I mean, it, it, it's okay. Well, the funny, dude, another little, one last thing before we go. It's like the funniest thing to me is people in the 70s when people, when Kiss came out with I Was Made for Loving You, and people were like, Kiss selling out. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, weren't they doing that since like day one? I mean, didn't they do that when they put their name on everything and like made action figures and lunchboxes and radios and everything under this song they could to make a buck? So. I don't know. They made a so they made a disco song, and I think it's a pretty good song. I don't know what the hell people are talking about, but there's a funny scene in the movie Detroit Rock City about that. So, well, I think there's retrospect. Oftentimes, you know, comes into play too because it can be really scary. I guess if one of your favorite artists suddenly goes in a new direction, and it's like, oh no, is it going to be disco forever? But then yeah. in retrospect, it's like, oh, they did one disco song, or like like Judas Priest, for example. Like, oh, they did Turbo. Like, I don't have to listen to Turbo. I mean, I, I, I do listen to Turbo, and I, especially Turbo Lover is one of my favorite Judas Priest songs. But I don't, you know, I don't have to, like, get too worried about the direction they were taking 
when they made that album because yeah, I have the benefit of listening to Painkiller and knowing that it's all going to turn out okay in the end. You yeah, know? that's that's also true. I guess in this perspective, I mean, if Material came out, a lot of people were definitely like, "What the hell is this?" And I don't know. I I do I don't mind the song Turbo Lover. It's just it's honestly for me it's most of the rest of that that album that I can't I can't vibe with. Like Out in the Cold's a cool track, but a lot of it sounds like a band from Saved by the Bell wrote it. Yeah, it's just it's, it's too childish. Lyrically, it's not great. And yeah, exactly. It's like rock and roll. It's yeah, exactly. Kids, you know? exactly. Don't listen to your parents. Yeah, yeah. So but, that, that's know, that's the silly. That's the part that gets me. And it's a lot. Some of it is very cool sounding, but. Um, but yeah. we, we have the luxury of kind of ignoring it because if Judas Priest had made, you know, Turbo five more albums <laughs> like Turbo, then everyone would hate that because it would be the turning point, kind of like we were talking about with the Black Album. So I, I wish that the Black Album could be more like Turbo in that, you know, they had returned to form later and then we could be like, oh, that was the like experimental one. And then there's the worst example of that, which I touched on earlier, which is Cold Lake by Celtic Frost. Yeah. Like they made that one album with like the dudes. Have you seen it? Have you ever heard that album? Are you familiar with Celtic Frost? Passing familiarity. I don't know them too well. Okay, so I they, know what they sound like, but you probably dig them. Um, yeah. They, they, uh, you know, they were very much like one of the first, like really, they're really do they're like really doomy, dark, gothic, atmospheric, um, cool as fuck band, heavy, heavy riffs, evil sounding shit. And then they made Cold Lake, which was like. It literally actually sounded like them trying to play like hair metal, but they can't. So it's like really shitty. And they have this hilarious album photo where those dude's pubes are like hanging out the top of his jeans. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. It's, I have a CD copy somewhere in this house. And it's maybe we'll listen to it next time you're over. Or, or All right. Check it out at some point. Like listen to the old shit first and then listen to that. It's like, it's the weakest attempt at selling out that like anyone ever did. And it's like, it's just, it's really fucking funny. <laughs> the song Cherry Orchards is just absolutely, it's absolutely hilarious. But, you know, hey. I've heard, uh, is it, is what, Tomega Therion? Is that, is that Tomega Therion is a great record. Yeah, that one, I've, I, I know I've heard that one. But that's, I think, the only one I've heard. So No, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a great, but, you know, songs like Circle of the Tyrants. And then they did, mm-hmm. I really like Monotheist, which was when they did in like 05, 06. Um, I got to see them on that tour. That, that one's like super intense and like do me and atmospheric so yeah great great fucking band with one really weird experimental thing on their record i mean yeah and i guess you could look back at turbo and go well it was the time they tried something and it was different and it was fresh and it's kind of cool looking back at their back catalog it's an interesting thing they did cold lake is like that's that piece of shit they tried to make and it really sucks <laughs> and tom and tom warrior will tell you that it sucks he's like he's not proud of that album whatsoever so but anyway like i said we're wrapping it up and you know hey selling out i don't know it's a it's it's a it's a complicated thing i think a lot of it depends on perspective and i think some of it's and some of it's a bit different situation nowadays like thinking about the celtic frost thing like there really was more it seems like label pressure and like everyone trying to like find the sound that was the it thing but i think now there's not really an it thing no same way so no absolutely not so all right, well, uh, I guess we're kind of going to wind it down for the evening. You got to roll the ferry. I'm falling asleep. So right. uh, we should definitely start wrapping it up. Um, we may or may not have a podcast next week. Um, Mr. Rev is on the road. Him and his wife are hitting the road for a little adventure back to the Midwest, right? Yep. 
yeah, we're going to go back to my wife's hometown, Indianapolis, and uh, go to a wedding in Chicago, like an outdoor socially distance kind of thing. And I think we're going to uh, hit up some national parks on the way to and from, maybe go to Glacier, maybe uh, Black Hills. So it should nice. be cool. It would be nice cool. to, uh, to break out of the uh, COVID confinement a little bit. Totally. I'm pretty jealous, man. I wish, yeah. wish I had the opportunity to get away. Hopefully I'll have the chance to do so sometime this year. Hopefully I'll have the chance to take for the band to get out of town at some point this year. That'd be nice. Um, Hell yeah. But anyway, um, so if we, if we are able to podcast with him remotely, we will do it. Um, if not, if I might try to find a guest host for the week, if none of those things pan out, then we'll just take a week off or two weeks off. But rest assured, the podcast is going to continue. We will, if not next week, we will be back in the coming weeks with more of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal part podcast, your source for all heavy metal nerdery and shenanigans. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we will see you on the next episode, whenever the hell that is. All right. Peace out. When darkness falls.